0: God bless you guys again. Merry Christmas. We're glad you're here. We've got some visitors with us that uh, we're glad you guys are here as well. Please make yourselves at home. We're glad everybody's here at Sovereign Grace. I'm just looking out over this congregation. This place is getting full. Amen. And that's a wonderful thing. On, uh, I want to encourage everyone on Tuesday evening at five o'clock. Please, we're going to come and gather here together. If you have, if this works in your family schedule, I understand. But if you can make a Christmas Eve worship service part of your family tradition. This is our third year of doing this as a church. Uh, Every Christmas Eve at 5 o'clock, we gather for worship, and we celebrate together. And it's a holy night. It always is. It's it's, it's this wonderful, beautiful time of music, and we have candlelights, and it's dark, and we see the impact that a little bit of light can bring into a dark world. That's the holiness of the night. Amen? It's not the gathering and putting the kids to sleep because Santa's coming. And that's great. Santa will come. But it's more important than that. Even, it's the birth of the Savior. The light of the world comes. And if you can, come and make that a part of your celebration. And I believe there is fellowship afterwards with a little bit of food and it's kind of taken on a life of its own on well, Christmas Eve here at Sovereign Grace, and it's a wonderful time. And the one thing that I always encourage is, is those who may not have family to celebrate with, we want to encourage them to come and let us be their family. That's happened over the last couple of years. Folks who have no family nearby, no one to celebrate with, they come and celebrate with us. We've, we've always seen uh, other people come, and that's they, they tell us, this is our Christmas tonight with you. And that's that's ministry, isn't it? Just to celebrate with people and to I love them. Amen. amen. Well, God bless you guys. Well, this morning, if you are able to, please turn to Luke, the Gospel of Luke, chapter 1. The Gospel of Luke, chapter 1, is where we will be today. Luke chapter 1. And then if you want to put your finger over at Matthew chapter 1, we will be there looking at some passages there as well. But Luke chapter 1, is our sermon text today, beginning in verse 26. So if you're able to stand, would you please stand in reverence for the reading of God's Word? Luke chapter 1, beginning in verse 26. In the sixth month, the angel Gabriel was sent from God to a city of Galilee named Nazareth. the Holy Spirit will come upon you, and the power of the Most High will overshadow you. Therefore, the child to be born will be called holy, the Son of God. And behold, your relative Elizabeth, in her old age, has also conceived a son. And this is the sixth month with her, who has, called, who has been called barren. For nothing will be impossible with God. And Mary said, Behold, I am the servant of the Lord. Let it be to me according to your word. And the angel departed from her. Let's pray. Dear Heavenly Father, we pause at the reading of your word and we just listen to the truth that you're telling us. In this story, this passage, this true event, you have much to tell us. And so, God, I pray this morning that you would speak boldly to us in your word. But more importantly, God, that our spirits would receive what you have to say. And God, we can't do that apart from your grace. And so, God, I pray that you would stir our hearts to listen, that you would open our minds to hear. And so, God, I pray this morning that you would speak into the hearts of everyone here. Teach us what it means to be called from you. You call us. You have favor upon us. And I pray, God, this morning at this Christmas season, that you would show us what exactly the, the, what that means and how that glorifies your name. It is in Christ's name we pray. Amen. Please have a seat. Amen. God bless you guys. Well, this is, uh, the, the clock is winding down, isn't it? You have little ones at home. Are they counting the days? Are they counting the minutes? Are they counting the hours? Uh, but I, uh, but as adults, sometimes we may be as well amongst the hustle and the bustle of trying to finish out responsibilities at work probably for the end of the year and trying to, fan, fin, uh, to figure out how you're going to get to all of these Christmas responsibilities and gatherings and buying all the gifts and all. I pray that this morning, perhaps God's Word would bring you peace and comfort. It's an interesting here that if, we, if, if God were to speak to us directly, I'm not sure how many of us would know how to respond. Has anyone here ever had God, like, reveal, just speak directly to you face-to-face? I mean, you could honestly say without, I mean, with credibility, that God said, looked at you face-to-face and said, hey, I want you to do this. I'm not talking about just a... Uh, now, now, God does speak all the time. He speaks to us in our spirits. He wakes us up. And, and there are moments in my life that I will testify it was God clearly speaking into my inner man that I could not avoid. It was God speaking. I heard him. But I will honestly say I have never, ever had God show up face to face or an angel, one of his messengers, wake me up and, and shake me face to face and speak to me. I've never had that encounter What we have here in this text, this is exactly part of the Christmas narrative that is more than just Sunday school Christmas stories. This is more than just a good image on a Christmas movie. This is a real event in human history, God speaking to a young girl and telling her, you are favored. That's amazing. I want us to look at exactly how God does this and exactly what this means for us, not just for Christmas, but for the gospel and for our lives. Angels will bring God's messages often in Scripture. We see it all throughout Scripture. From the very beginning of the Bible all the way to the very end, God will send these messengers that we call angels to proclaim an important message. If an angel shows up, theres you've got to pay attention because God is trying to get our attention. If an angel shows up, then there is something important for God to say. And God sends these messengers to proclaim something that God is planning. God's providential hand, His hand of guidance and direction is always at work. And especially if an angel shows up, whoa. Whoa is me. That's really kind of the response when an angel shows up. Whoa. We have these images of an angel of just... Or Clarence, right from the movie uh, "It's a Wonderful Life." We, we, sometimes we think of Clarence, the angel trying to earn his wings and doing something nice. And we, right. but it, but we, we, sometimes when we think of angels, we think of Clarence, this bumbling angel trying to earn his wings. That's not the image of angels in Scripture. The the image of angels in Scripture, they are powerful beings that when they show up... We saw this last week when we were looking at how the the angels proclaimed the birth of the baby Jesus to the shepherds, and they were in fear. When an angel shows up, they're just a, just a, a hint of God's glory, and we can't fathom it. We cannot survive it. So you can imagine a young girl. I mean, young girls tend to be timid. Young girls tend to be fragile. Young girls tend to be, they're, they're quiet, they're meek generally. And we get this impression from Mary, especially when we see her response here. But when angels speak, those who are spoken to listen we see this in Matthew chapter one. If you wish, if you want to flip over there and look, Matthew chapter one, an angel speaks to Joseph several times, right? verses eighteen through twenty-five. Right. She will bear a son, and you shall call his name Jesus, for he will save his people from their sins. All this took place to fulfill what the Lord had spoken by the prophet. Behold, the virgin shall conceive and bear a son, and they shall call his name Emmanuel, which means God with us. When Joseph woke from sleep, he did as the angel of the Lord commanded him. He took his wife, but knew her not until she had given birth to a son, and he called his name Jesus. So even here, an angel speaks to Joseph in a dream very common testimony. Even today, when we know of, when we hear testimonies from those of the Islamic faith who have come to Christ, it it is an overwhelming testimony that we hear often that these men and women have a dream of Jesus. It's a common occurrence even today. And missionaries on the mission field right now testify it's genuine, it's real, and it's overwhelmingly true and common. And the reason is because in that culture, in the Islamic culture, that there is something about dreams that that culture pays attention to, and I love how God uses that, and He will send angels or Jesus Himself to speak to them in dreams. Yeah. So Joseph here is, is spoken to by an angel in a dream, and we see it again in Matthew chapter 2, verses 13 through 15. angel speaks to Joseph again. But when Herod died, behold, an angel of the Lord appeared in a dream to Joseph in Egypt, saying, Rise, take the child and his mother, and go to the land of Israel, for those who sought the child's life are dead. And he rose and took the child and his mother and went back to the land of Israel. And when he heard that Archelaus was reigning over Judea in place of his father Herod, he was afraid to go there. And being warned in a dream... He withdrew to the district of Galilee, and he went and lived in a city called Nazareth, that what was spoken by the prophets might be fulfilled. He shall be called a Nazarene. You see, so even Joseph was spoken to by angels repeatedly throughout this time with Mary and Jesus. Now, I want to point out one thing here about Joseph, and then we're going to spend more time in Luke chapter 1 about the interaction with Gabriel and Mary. One of the things I love about Matthew's account is he emphasizes the role of the husband Joseph here in this. We look in chapter 1, verse, um, verse 19, and her husband Joseph, being a just man and unwilling to put her to shame, resolved to divorce her quietly. Now, that's not divorce, as we understand in our modern context. It really meant he was going to break the engagement and dismiss her. I mean, this was a man of honor and integrity and character who loved his wife despite the fact that she was found with child and it wasn't his. That's an amazing thing in this gospel that, narrative that we have to remember. And men, I want to encourage you in this room, model your lives after Joseph in relationship to the women in your lives. Love them and do not bring them to shame. In other words, don't put them down, don't cut them down, don't embarrass them in public. Love them and cherish them and protect them. If, if Joseph was not that kind of a man, what kind of Christ, what kind of life would Jesus have re- re- grown up in? Joseph shaped Jesus. I'm all, I mean, to show him what it means to be a godly man. Jesus still had to learn that, even though he was God himself. <laughs> That's the mystery. And Joseph loved his wife, and did not want to dismiss her, he still held on to her despite the baggage. And he loved her because that's what she needed. And God knew this, and he orchestrated the whole thing. Isn't that great? He knew that Mary would need protection, and he gave Mary Joseph as her protector, not only of her character, but I would say of her life as well because she would have been stoned. Joseph, a man of integrity, loved his wife and said, I will take her. She is my wife. That's an amazing thing. Now, let's flip over to Luke chapter 1. Now, let's, let's understand, again, we're seeing the importance of angels here. Joseph listened to the message of the angels in the dreams. He did not just dismiss them as dreams. How many people have woken up in the morning and realized, wait a minute, I just had a weird dream? Yeah. I, I, will, I will confess here as a pastor, there's many mornings I will wake up from a dream that really, in a lot of ways, is disturbing. And I will wake up from that dream. And before I do anything, I pray to the Lord, Lord, please shift my mind to the mind of Christ because my mind in this dream has been very disturbed. <laughs> anyway, it's, it's a wake-up call for me. Dear Lord, focus my mind on Your Son. It happens from time to time. We see here in Luke chapter 1... Beginning in verse 26, we see that in the sixth month the angel Gabriel was sent from God to a city of Galilee named Nazareth to a virgin betrothed to a man whose name was Joseph of the house of David. Now, this, now, now the scene here in Luke uh, shifts back before Joseph was confronted by the angels. This goes back before Joseph found out that Mary was pregnant. And this young girl Mary, we know that Historically, we can assume that she was a young teenager. Most many scholars think around 13 or so. Can you imagine being a 13 year old girl and finding out that you're going to have a baby and never ever having kissed a boy, much less been near any men? What's happening here? I mean, you can imagine the emotions and the cultural problems that would ensue here, and none of that was a secret. All of that was heavy. And so Gabriel is sent by God to speak to Mary. That's an important point here in verse 26 and 27. Gabriel just doesn't come on his own. Angels do not act on their own endeavor. They have no free will to do what they choose. I want you to understand it. That that's a big difference between the angels that God has made and we as human beings that God have created. Angels don't have the choice. They don't have the free will to act upon their own. They only act as God directs. They are made for that purpose. They are sent by God to be His voice and to bring messages. That's, that's literally the, the, the Greek word angelos that we get the word angel from literally is meant the messengers. That's really if you want to figure out fundamentally what it is. They are messengers. So Gabriel, the chief messenger of God, the, 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 the general of the armies of angel hosts, comes. And he speaks to Mary directly. That's an amazing thing. See, the, the emphasis here is that the way that the world expects things to be is much different than the way God does things. That's what I want us to understand at Christmas time especially in our secularized Christmas. What we see here in this narrative is that God is going to do things through Mary that the world would be dumbfounded about. And the world would just react to in a way of harshness and and really cruelty. But the God says, I will do this my way. And I want to choose a young girl who is innocent, but I find favor in her, And I want to give her the privilege of carrying my son, Jesus himself. That is a mixture of emotions, isn't it? Scared, yet joyful. Wow. Now, the differences here between the way the world expects things and the way God does things is very clear. See, the world cannot comprehend how a meek and lowly, truly human being can also be divine and be called the Son of God. So as as Mary was progressing in this pregnancy, she was clearly facing opposition from her family, from her community, from her religion. They would not understand exactly. it It would be beyond our comprehension what God is saying and what God is doing. You see, this angel Gabriel, the angel, is sent to a poor and insignificant girl who is told that she will be the mother of the Messiah. Even Mary would have been, had in her experience as a child, been taught to look forward to the coming of the birth of the Messiah, because it was prophesied of old. It would have been part of her education as a young girl. It would have been part of her religion. It would have been part of who she was. And suddenly at 13, she is confronted by Gabriel. You're the one. You're the one. Do young girls have dreams and fantasies of someday being loved and favored? And special is that not part of a young girl's identity? Can you imagine Mary's response here how she was feeling in this moment this she is confronted by Gabriel at a divine encounter with an angel you're going to carry this child who's the Messiah that everybody's looking forward to and you're the one. Wow. The world would have looked at this and said, no way. There's no way that a young 13-year-old teenager who cannot barely, uh, she's not old enough to even be married yet, and she's not even old enough to set up her own house yet, and and God is going to choose her? It's interesting. Young Mary, this young girl, is, is chosen by God to fulfill this prophecy. She does not manifest this prophecy. She does not claim her moment. She does not demand God's answer for her life. She is humble, living the way young girls do, minding her own business, yet somehow is favored by God. She does not manifest her destiny as the mother of God. That's a. Stark contrast to the way the world wants us to live, doesn't it? All right, I mean, just this weekend, I, was, I can't remember where I even saw it. It was, it was a, it was actually on on the internet. There was, you know, there's a lot of commercials on the internet now. No matter if you go and watch, want to look at the news, you got to watch a commercial now. You know that, and that's how these things have evolved. And there was a, and I, I never watch them all. As soon as that countdown goes four, three, two, one, skip the ad. I skip the ad. Y'all do that. And there was this commercial, and I couldn't bear watching more than five or six seconds of it, but it was a commercial of, you can envision your destiny. The secret to wealth and prosperity is you have to envision it first and then make it happen. A lie from the devil. Mary doesn't do that. I I mean, I can't imagine that God would have favored Mary if she was manipulating her life to be the one. Y'all know folks like that? I, I have a goal. I want to be somebody. I, I'm going. Can you imagine Mary being, I'm going to be the mother of God. That's my destiny. And I'm going to make it happen no matter what. Y'all know some folks like that? That's the way the world would do it. That's the way the world would tell you, go to a self-help seminar and, and have positive thoughts and it will come to be. We don't see that in Mary here. When I mean, she's confronted by Gabriel in verse 27 and 28, verse, verse 28 says, And he came to her and said, Greetings, O favored one. The Lord is with you. See, Mary, you could argue here, it, it, she was to be the new Eve, where the original Eve fell from grace in the garden and ushered in sin to the world. Mary here is going to be that second chance for the world to give birth to the perfect Adam, Jesus Christ, and give us new hope. Verse 29, but she was greatly troubled at the saying and tried to discern what sort of greeting this might be. That's an interesting thing. Notice Mary's response. This tells us that she was humble and not planning this because as Gabriel is speaking these words to her, notice the response in Scripture. She was greatly troubled and she was confused, trying to discern what sort of greeting this was. It's an interesting encounter here with this young girl. You see, Gabriel's message to Mary I think is something that we cannot ignore because God dispatches not just any angel to proclaim, not not some unnamed angel. It was God's primary chief angel, the top dog, Gabriel, to a poor young girl and a betrothed, in our language, uh, engaged wife to a tradesman. We see here this young girl who becomes the bearer of God, the mother of God. Now that alone would give her favor. That alone would gives Mary a status above women that many women do not comprehend. Gives her a status among humanity that yes, we I think we have every right. And we should look to Mary with respect, but not necessarily worship, which in the church over the centuries, this became a tradition of of Mary worship because she is the mother of God. This is an ancient title that distinguishes Mary as bearing God himself. So there's a difference, and I want you to really pay attention to this because John Stott Uh, The great theologian points this out, that Mary is called here as favored of God. This image or this idea of Mary as the mother of God is significant. She's not the mother of Christ, even though she is, but more importantly, she's the mother of God, now without falling into pagan idolatry of, of worshiping the uh, worshiping the female gods or or the pagan mythologies of gods being born of women that's not the point here the fun the confusion here the mystery here is how can a young girl give birth to god who created her that's a that's a that's a deep confusion but it's a truth. It's not that Mary invents God by giving birth to this creature called God. That's not it. The mystery here is how can God himself, who created Mary, then mother, Mary turn around and be the mother of him? That's, that's the mystery here of the Christmas story. God finds favor with Mary, a young girl that he created. says, I'm going to allow you, I'm calling you to bear God stepping into humanity. Because God cannot just show up, well, He could, God could just show up at any time and poof, be here. He can do that at any time He wants, right? Can we say that? God is God, God is sovereign, God can do whatever He wants. He could, he could show up right here in this second and say, I am God. And if He did, every one of us in this room would fall down dead because of His holiness and His glory. Amen? But somehow God in His wisdom and in His design and in His choice says, I want you, Mary, to give birth to me so that the world will see that I love them. It's not that he's giving Mary the honor of giving birth to a God that we then suddenly worship. That's the twisted, false conclusion to this. We do not worship Mary because she gives birth to God. We don't worship Mary at all. Now, I think we can respect Mary, and we can definitely, through Scripture, look at her with awe. God chose you. That's nothing insignificant. If God finds favor upon anyone, that is important. We don't worship them. God finds favor with a lot of people in Scripture. He found favor with David, that Joseph himself comes from. Mary and Joseph, they come from the line of David. And even, even, the, even Gabriel emphasizes this baby that will be born will take the throne of his father David in verse 32. But this idea of Mary giving birth to God, the Messiah, It's interesting that God chooses the lowest of the low, those in poverty. Bill mentioned this in the Sunday School Hour this morning, that when Jesus came and spoke, he spoke to the poverty, those in poverty, those who were poor, not just poor in spirit, yes, we're all poor in spirit, but even those who were of economic poverty, that society looks down upon and casts away. God chooses Mary from the beginning for this very high honor and also made her fit for the task. That's very important. That's what we see here in this narrative, that Mary is confused and troubled by what is being spoken to her. And the only way that she was going to be able to accomplish this calling of God is none other than God Himself giving her the ability to do it. That's why I think we should... Not ignore Mary here. We're not worshiping Mary. But this text tells us a lot about what it means to be favored by God. You see, this virgin birth is significant. Because pagan mythologies were full of God's being intimate with human women. Pagan mythologies from ancient times, from the very beginning of human sinfulness, we, we imagined stories that were wrong, that, that the gods would come and take advantage of young girls and create demigods. The significance here is that is exactly not what happened is happening. It is something totally different because the emphasis of virginity here implies that Mary was never violated. and God gives favor upon her. It's not God taking advantage of young girls the way the pagans did in the pagan mythologies. God favors this young girl beyond all women. (laughs) But more importantly, as we see Mary's response here, clearly she's not going to be able to do this. But God says, I want to give you my grace. That's literally what favored one means. Gabriel greets Mary as one full of grace. That's what it means to be favored. And so if we can imagine ourselves being favored by God, just like Mary here is favored by God, she is spoken of as being full of grace. That means God's grace himself is poured out into Mary, giving her everything possible and necessary to fulfill this calling. I'm going to cause you to bear a son, I know it's difficult, but I want to give you everything you need. My grace is sufficient, God says. Notice here in verse 28. And he came to her and said, Greetings, O favored one, the Lord is with you. Some translations say, O Mary, full of grace. That's, that's actually the language that is in the, 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 the classic uh, the, or the ancient Christian hymn, the Ava Maria. Have you ever heard that? The Ava Maria. It's very beautiful. It's also known as the angelic greeting, the greeting of the angel to, Mar- uh, to Mary. Oh, Mary, full of grace. That's what it means to be favored. So if we are Christians here this morning and we worship God Almighty because Jesus Himself has saved us and redeemed us and forgiven us of our sin, then we too are full of God's grace. Amen? How can we serve God apart from God's grace? It's impossible. Mary here did not want this calling she did not want this responsibility but god calls her and he's and, and again her response is fear and trembling <laughs> and in the words of comfort here in verse 30 the angel says to her do not be afraid Mary for you have found favor with god you have found favor with god Men and women in this room, just listen. If we are called by God, first of all, if we're called by God to repentance and we argue with God and say, I can't do this, God. You don't know who I am. You don't know what I have done. How many people have said that to God? I think the words of the Gabriel here to Mary in verse 30 is, our, is for us as well. And the angel said to her, Do not be afraid, Mary, for you have found favor with God. Now, on one hand, it is, impo- it is necessary for us to have God's favor in order to be saved. I will, I will not bow down from that. We do not save ourselves. We do not come to God with our terms of salvation. Anyone who comes to God with their terms of salvation are not coming to God's salvation. They're creating their own. But I will say that God's grace and God's favor is available for all. God's grace and God's favor are for those who are humble. Mary here was clearly humble. She was not boastful. She did not look she did not want this. But she was submissive and she was obedient. And perhaps that was part of her personality to begin with that God saw as someone to show favor upon a young girl who was not so full of herself that she was going to be more important than God in her mind, he knew God works with the humble. It is the broken and the contrite heart that David speaks about in Psalm 51 that God loves. We see here in verse 30 and 31, Do not be afraid, Mary, for you have found favor with God. And behold, you will conceive in your womb and bear a son, and you shall call his name Jesus, and he will be great, and will be called the Son of the Most High. And the Lord God will give to him the throne of his father David, and he will reign over the house of Jacob forever, and of his kingdom there will be no end. How many mothers have high hopes for their children like this? My baby's going to be president someday. My baby's going to be, though, in charge of, oh, he's going to, our babies do no wrong. They're going to, we have high images and high hopes for our children. And then they let us down. Amen. But we still have, we're still proud of them. But what we're disappointed in is that our children don't match up to our hopes for them. Instead, our children, if they are in God's favor will definitely match up to God's hopes for them. And God is teaching us as parents, okay, it's not your hope, it's my hope for them, not yours. But notice here, this is what God is telling Mary, this baby being born through you will be someone special. He'll be great. He will be great in verse 32, and will be called the Son of the Most High. Now notice here in verse 32, the emphasis of the Most High. This is what overcomes Mary. Now without getting too theological, it's important for us to understand how can a young girl who is herself born into sin under the curse of Adam, how can she give birth to a Messiah and the Messiah be sinless? Because you know the curse of Adam part of the curse of Adam is that it comes through the generations. From the time of Adam and Eve until now, sin is passed down through the blood of our parents. And those of us who now have children, we have passed our sin nature down to them. How many of us look at our kids and get angry with them, but then we get angry with them because they're doing exactly what we do? That's the curse of Adam. So how is it that this young girl, who clearly all human beings are born under the curse how can she conceive a child and the child not be cursed? This is the important part of the gospel. Well, the gospel it's the important part of the birth of the Savior. Verses 35. Or look at verse 35. And the angel answered her, The Holy Spirit will come upon you, and the power of the Most High will overshadow you. So this idea of the Most High is repeated in verse 32 and in verse 36. This Son, this child to be born will be called the Son of God, the Most High. And then in verse 35 and 36, the power of the Most High will overshadow you. That's an insignificant point there. Not only is the child to be born to be called the Most High, but the Most High is the one who will cause you to give birth. That'll blow your mind, won't it? That is exactly how the child to be born, even though born of a woman, will not carry the curse of Adam with him. Because in verse 35, the Holy Spirit that comes upon Mary through the power of the Most High will overshadow her sin nature. It does not mean that the child that Mary conceives is somehow not fully human, and that's another heresy that the church has dealt with more than once in its history. It's that the son to be born would take Mary's humanity, but Mary's humanity will be overshadowed so that he is born perfect. That's a mystery that I can't fathom. That's a mystery that I... Because in the pagan mythologies... The, let's just, for no better words, the, the corrupt gods would take advantage of young girls to create even more corrupt demigods. That's not what's happening here. And so Luke's gospel is speaking to a culture of the time, an ancient culture, that this needed to be spelled out clearly. This is not your pagan gods doing something foul. This is God who is holy, the most high, overshadowing the sin nature of humanity so that Christ is born sinless. That's why we call The birth of our Savior, the most holy of nights. Because for the first time, a human being is born with no sin. Ponder that. That's what we as the humanity look forward to. How can we break from this sin curse? How can we break from this repeated generation after generation after generation of sin being passed down? Right here's the answer. God overpowers the sin nature in humanity to create a to actually not create, to give birth to. God because Jesus was not created, <laughs> he was begotten. He was begotten. And Gabriel reassures Mary here of these fears. You think that you cannot do this on your own. And that's why she was that's why she was scared. I can't do this. God tells her, through Gabriel, the child to be born will be called Holy, the Son of God. Now, it's interesting to look at Mary's response here. Let's look at, let's close here with verse 36 through 38. We've got to look at Mary's response to this. this is, and this right here, I think, is why we should call Mary blessed. Not because she is somehow... See, some people will take the, the, the idea of, in verse 35 that Mary herself was made holy as the uh, Holy Spirit made, overshadowed her. They think that she was made sinless. She wasn't. Verse 36, And behold, your relative Elizabeth in her old age has also conceived a son, and this is the sixth month with her who is called barren. Verse 37, the words of Gabriel for nothing will be impossible with God. A biblical truth. Nothing will be impossible with God. But this is in the context of something that mankind cannot do. We cannot overpower our sin nature. It's who we are. But God, who can do all things... It is not impossible for God to overpower and make clean our sin nature. And so He has done this through Mary and through the Son, Jesus Christ. That's how sin will be, in, be atoned for. The birth of Jesus Christ sets the stage and sets into motion the fulfillment of the covenant of God to everyone in the Old Testament from, from Moses to David until now. I'm going to fix this. And now's the time. Now look at Mary's response to all this, verse 38. And Mary said, Behold, I am the servant of the Lord. Let it be to me according to your word. See, Mary's first response was of terror and fear and doubt. And she is not condemned for that. She's honest. But after Gabriel explains to her, this is what will happen This is not about you, Mary. This is about God. And nothing is impossible, Mary. It can happen. The sin can be atoned for. And this baby that you're giving birth to is the answer to the world. And then she says, I am the servant of the Lord. Let it be to me according to your word. And that right there, that's the response of the sinner who is awakened to their sin and realizes that it is God's grace upon them that gives them new life. That is the response of the new Christian, isn't it? The, the, the one who is not Christian, who is now Christian, they may reject God and fight against God and push against God and push against the gospel and push against everything that the Word of God tells us about salvation. But once that is revealed and they wake up to that, we're in a culture right now, a season of wokenness. Y'all know what that means? All right? The 20-somethings are now woke What if they were woke to the gospel? Their response would be like Mary's, I am the servant of the Lord. That's the response of the newly saved, the newly born Christian. I am the servant of the Lord. It's not about me. God working through me. And that's Mary.